Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. And Brandon, I appreciate you leading uh, worship over there. And last, uh, last weekend I had a chance. I just went over into the venue, sat down on a chair, and we had a Q&A time over there. And that was really, uh, really special. Welcome to all of you that are watching online, and especially all of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. Man, this has been a great weekend. Been baptizing all weekend long, commissioning all these kids, uh, singing together, giving together. Um, this has been a this has been a great, great weekend. Uh, next weekend, though, as Pastor Bobby shared with you, is one of the great weekends in the life of of the church. You know, you got Christmas and you got Easter, and as you can tell, if every one of you brought a friend or two, we would be jammed up in here. And that's why we have Saturday at 4, Saturday at 6, 9 and 11. You may want to think about maybe coming to one of those gatherings because this place is already uh, full as it is. But we also have something special for our kids. I want you to watch this, uh, this video here real quick. My name is Simeon, and I am a travel guide. Say, would you like to take a trip with me back in time, a land to where you've never been before, to witness the last week of Jesus' life? Then buckle up, and let's go and take a journey to the cross. <laughs> Our journey begins with Jesus riding in on a donkey, his triumphal entry. <laughs> Well, you'll get to pick up palm branches and worship Jesus with them. But watch out and don't hit anybody. And then, ooh, this is a little scary, but don't worry. You're going to go into a prison where you'll witness Barabbas, one of the prisoners, and hear his testimony about the event. Be sure to behave, because <laughs> you don't want to end up in that prison. And we're finally going to end our time together celebrating the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're in grades one through six, then join us Easter weekend where we're going to take a journey to the cross. <laughs> See you then. Yeah. We, uh, we literally transform the venue. And if you have a child, you, you just need to be here just to send them through that thing. You got a grandchild, you got people in your neighborhood or whatever, you, you, you need to have them uh, come and, and just to experience that. Okay, everybody got their Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see. You got your Bibles? Got the sword? Put them up. Put them up. Put them up. Put them up. Okay, a lot of Bibles. I want you to take it and open it up to John chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, you can go into the altar room when we're done, pick one up. There's an altar room over in the, the venue. If you're watching online or listening on the radio and you'd like a Bible, just call this uh, church here and we'll put one in your hands. One of the great things we do is give people a, a copy of the Word of God. Verse 1 says this. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come.
come. My time has not yet come. In John chapter 7, Jesus makes the Jewish religious leaders uh, mad, and it says this in verse 30. Then the leaders, these religious leaders, tried to arrest him, tried to arrest Jesus. But no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. In John chapter 8, it says, where is your father, they asked him. And Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you'd also know who my father is. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested. Why? Because his time had not yet come. There's a number of places in scripture where you read those six words, my time has not yet come. And basically what those six words mean is that Jesus was on a divine time schedule. It means that God had a plan and that plan had a particular order and nobody was gonna mess up what that order was. And by the way, Jesus is still on a divine time schedule. The next thing, as best I can understand from the scriptures that's gonna happen next is this thing that the church calls, what we call the rapture. Now, I don't know when it's gonna happen. No one knows when it's gonna happen. But in this divine time schedule that Jesus is on, that's the next thing that's going to occur. Now, when you get to the final week of Jesus' life, and that's what I wanna talk about here today, some things are gonna change. Listen to what is recorded in John chapter 12. This is Jesus talking. Now the time has come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. When you get to the final week of the life of Jesus, he's now going to set into motion um, a number of things that's gonna lead to his arrest, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. And as I go through this, As I walk through this last week of the life of Jesus, I just want you to keep in mind that he's in complete control of the whole thing. It's gonna seem like things are out of control. You can read through the Gospels, and when you get to the last week of Jesus, you can think to yourself, man, you know, things are just wacky. Things are crazy. Things are out of control, and they're not out of control. Jesus is in complete control of everything that's going to happen. And I want you to understand this as I walk through it. Everything that happens this last week, he did for you. It was all done for you. All done for me. So this is what I like to do. I like to transport us back 2,000 years to the week before Jesus is killed, the week before he's crucified, okay? So he he dies on on a Friday, so let's back it up, okay? Thursday would be one day, Wednesday two, you know, Tuesday's three days, Monday's four days. Now it's Sunday. It's five days before Jesus is crucified, okay? Y'all understand this? I've just kind of backed up the time, and it's now Sunday, 
In five days, Jesus will be uh, crucified. Sunday was uh, an incredible day of celebration. In fact, all around uh, uh, the, the region, people are making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Some scholars believe there might have been at least maybe minimum two million people are making their way to Jer Jerusalem. They're coming from all over. In fact, let me show you a map. Now this map, some of you aren't gonna be able to see very well. You'll see the next one a little cleaner, uh, a little bigger. And over in the venue, you won't be able to see me pointing some of this out. But I want you to see this map, okay? I want to explain some stuff to you. This right here is Israel, okay? That's a map of Israel. So right up here, you have Lebanon. Right here, you have Syria. You have Jordan right here. And you have uh, Egypt down here. Okay, so there's the Mediterranean Sea. And just so that you over on this side can see it, up here is Lebanon. Right here is Syria. You've got Jordan right down in this area. And then you have uh, Egypt down here. So this is Israel, all right? And that little blue spot right there is the Sea of Galilee, all right? And right up there in the northern end of the Sea of Galilee is a town called Capernaum. I've been there many times. And Capernaum would have been the international headquarters of uh, Jesus's ministry. You know how there's all these great ministries focus on the family and it has an international headquarters and everybody's got their international headquarters. Well, that town right there, Capernaum, was the international headquarters of Jesus. Now down here, right there is Jerusalem, okay? There's Jerusalem. And people are coming from all over, as I said, Two million plus people are coming to that little tiny place called Jerusalem. Everybody's making their way. This is all happening on Sunday. Okay, so everybody's making their way. And somewhere in this crowd of two million people making their way to Jerusalem is, is Jesus. In fact, go to that next, let's just, let's just go to the, 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 the next map. What I've done is I've just kind of blown up the, the, this, the, the map. And so right up here would have been the Sea of Galilee. It would have been up here. You come down from the Sea of Galilee and Jesus would have made his way to this little town right there called Bethany. Okay, And the Bible says in John chapter 12 that Jesus on Saturday makes his way to Bethany and he stays in a really neat bed and breakfast place. It was owned by a guy by the name of Lazarus, the one that Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus is right here. He's spending the night right here, and a lot of things happen on Saturday night before the Sunday, but it's Sunday in our, in our time frame, and so Jesus wakes up in Bethany, and this is about a two-mile route. You go through Bethpage, you come right down, right here is the, the Garden of Gethsemane, you make your way down into what is called the Kidron Valley and up, and here is the temple. This is where those two million people are, are, are coming from. So I'm showing you Jerusalem right now. And Jesus wakes up on Sunday, and he's making this two-mile jaunt into Jerusalem. 
And it's somewhere along the way, we think somewhere right around Beth Page, somewhere right in here, about a mile out, Jesus gets on a donkey. And he rides the rest of the way, probably about a mile or so from Beth Page, maybe a little beyond it, maybe a little in front of it. And he makes his way on a donkey into Jerusalem. And it's along that mile journey, mile and a half journey, whatever it was, that there's all this celebration going on. There may have been 100,000 people on that road. Remember, two million are making their way to Jerusalem. There may have been 100,000 people maybe lining that road right there, who knows. And as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, woo, the people are yelling and screaming. I mean, it's a, it's a party, man. And they're throwing down the palm branches and all that kind of stuff during that, during that mile or, or so uh, jaunt. Uh, John chapter 14 says, Jesus found a donkey and rode it in, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming, riding in on a donkey. So here's this unbelievable day. This is all happening on Sunday like today, okay? Friday, he's gonna die. This is, this is Sunday. This is a, a, a great day. Go back to that map. Okay, there, there you are. So, Sunday, he's here. Sunday night, he makes the two-mile journey back to Bethany. So he's been there all day, celebration, all kinds of great stuff happening, and he makes his way back to Bethany, and that's where he's gonna spend the night, Sunday night, and now he's gonna wake up, and it's Monday. Four days until the crucifixion. So it's Monday, okay? And Monday's a day where Jesus is going to begin to just really upset the religious leaders. He knows what his mission is. He knows why he was born in that little manger 33 years ago. That mission was he was gonna die on a cross. He knows he has to get to the cross on Friday. And so on Monday, he's gonna start stirring up some, some stuff. In fact, Mark chapter 11 tells us this. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, remember he's in Bethany, two miles back home on Sunday, spends the night, wakes up, makes the journey back into Jerusalem. Jesus enters the temple and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it in to a den of thieves. When the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. So here's what happens on Monday. And by the way, a lot of things are happening on Monday. I'm just gonna pull out some of the highlights for you. So Monday, Jesus comes back into Jerusalem and everybody's coming. Remember, two million people are making their way there for the Passover. And you had to bring some animal to sacrifice, a, a goat or a bull or a, a pigeon, or you had to bring something. 
And a lot of people, because the distance was so far, they didn't want to bring something. And so they, they were just going to buy it when they got there. Some people were so poor that they would just purchase their, their, uh, their offering, uh, their sacrifice when they got there. And so what had happened was the religious leaders kind of ran the show there. And they allowed people to put up all these tables and, and basically gouge the people. They all had to buy something. They had to buy a goat. They had to buy a, a, a ram. They, they had to buy a, a pigeon or whatever it was. And so, you know, these, these, these folks just had people over a barrel. And instead of just, you know, charging them a little bit of money, they were gouging the people. And the religious leaders were okay with it. They were probably getting a kickback from all of these uh, animals that were being uh, uh, purchased. In fact, uh, on, on the Passover, they say about 250,000 goats and bulls would have been slaughtered on the altar. They say that there was so much blood, it would run down into the Kidron Valley and literally run out of the brook. That's how many animals were being sacrificed. And so Jesus shows up and he, he sees these people gouging everybody. He knows the religious leaders are behind it. And so he starts kicking over tables and, I mean, he's angry, really angry. And you know the people were going right on, man. I can't believe it, man. I can go buy a pigeon in my own hometown for, you know, a nickel and these guys are charging me five bucks. But I'm, I'm stuck, I have to, I have to spend. So, so the people are going, yeah! But the religious leaders are going, whoa, 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 whoa. And they were afraid of him. Now after another good night sleep, Jesus wakes up and it's now Tuesday, okay? He rides into Jerusalem on Sunday, five days till he's crucified. We just looked at Monday. Now we're three days out. In three days, Jesus is going to be crucified. Now, Tuesday and Wednesday, not all scholars believe what exactly takes place on those two days. Some people think some of the stuff that I'm going to share happened on Wednesday. Some think it happened on Tuesday. Bottom line is I'm not real clear whether whether everything that happens on Tuesday and Wednesday happened the way I'm going to lay it out, but we, they, they know, we, we know for sure they did happen, either on Tuesday or Wednesday. But I'm going to give you, um, as best I can figure this out, what happened on, on Tuesday. Tuesday was a, 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 a great day of teaching. Jesus tells a number of great parables. He tells the parable of the two sons, the ten virgins, the parable of the tenants, the parable of the, the talents. But in my humble opinion, um, Matthew 23 is the key chapter for, for this particular day, whether it happened on Tuesday or Wednesday. Jesus is going to bring the hammer down on the religious leaders. This was the last recorded sermon of Jesus. You can turn there right now. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 23. It's the last recorded sermon, whether he preached it on Tuesday or Wednesday, it doesn't really matter. I think it happened on Tuesday. And what's interesting about this last sermon is that it's not about salvation. He doesn't preach about the cross or the resurrection. He doesn't preach about his second coming. He doesn't preach about, 
preach on how to you know, live a godly life or whatever. He preaches a sermon about false teachers. He knows this is the last sermon he's gonna give. And the sermon he's gonna unpack is about being careful or weary, if you will, of false teachers. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23. Look at verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples. Now in this crowd are the religious leaders. And everybody knew who they were because they always wear the best outfits. They had on cool hats and beautiful robes and they, they had on all the right stuff. They look good on the outside. They're in the crowd. And here's the sermon. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Now the average guy sitting out there was going, right on. Yeah, you're right. Now the religious guys, you know, they were probably going, whoa, 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 whoa. This cat shows up here on Monday and starts kicking over tables, jacking us up in the temple. Now listen to him. Everything they do, everything the religious folks do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scriptures inside. They wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and They love to be called rabbi. Verse 13 says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others in either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you you hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. This is a big day. This This is a big moment. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, things like justice, things like mercy, things like faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You blind guide, just strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. 
What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Snakes, son of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell. Now imagine, you're sitting out there and you got a bunch of people around <laughs> and all their eyeballs are on you at this moment. This is a big deal. There's no doubt that Jesus upset a few people and I just want you to remember that God had a plan, a well-orchestrated plan, and that plan included a cross. That plan included his son hanging on that cross. And God was simply using the religious leaders to fulfill his purpose. He was simply using the Romans to fulfill his purpose. He was simply using Judas to fulfill his purpose. Look, here's the deal. There's always, I'm always asked, there's always a debate, who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the Romans or was it the, the, the Jews? And the answer is neither one of them. Jesus put himself on the cross. He did it. If he didn't want to go there, he didn't have to go there. He knew what his purpose was. From the moment he was born, he knew that Friday was coming. He knew that moment was coming. And all he's doing is just kind of orchestrating everything to get to Friday. Now after, you know, he rips up the religious folks, he, he continues his teaching. He teaches about the last days in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He teaches about his upcoming death in, in Matthew 26. So what happens is nightfall comes and Jesus goes to bed and when he wakes up, it's now Wednesday, okay? It's now Wednesday, two days until Jesus is crucified. And I, I can't point out everything that happened. I'm just gonna pick the highlights. And, and Wednesday really is the, the day that Judas makes the, the biggest mistake of his life. He makes a, a deal with the devil. Matthew chapter 26 says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. The religious leaders wanted to keep their hands somewhat clean and so Judas is going to be the one. You're the one. We're going to give you 30 shekels. You're the one who's going to rat them out. You're going to be that one. Look, think about this. Judas knew Jesus well. Judas walked with Jesus day after day. Jesus heard most, if not all, that Jesus taught. Judas was trained to be an apostle by Jesus himself, yet despite all the opportunities that Jesus gave him, Judas' Judas's life was a, just a terrible tragedy. When I thought about Judas this week, 
I thought about how many people I've known in my 30 years here. And God has given him all kinds of great opportunities to be a part of a great church, be a part of a great ministry, men's ministries, women's ministries, have places to serve and all of that. And how many people have, like Judas, just blown it off, never taken advantage of it. Their lives have become just tragedies. This coin I wear around my neck, I think I've told you the story. I bought it in Israel the last time we were there. And um, this coin was actually minted. The mint mark of this coin is uh, from Jerusalem. So we know this coin was actually made in Jerusalem. It was made in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. That's how old it is. This, uh, this is actually called the Judas coin there. This is actually one of those shekels that Judas would have received. In fact, theoretically, this may have been one of those 30 shekels. It's, that's how old it is, and we know it was actually in Jerusalem at the time. And some of you might be thinking, man, oh man, why would you want a coin like that around your neck? Here's why. It's a reminder to me that it doesn't take much to sell out Christ. Doesn't take much. And every time I look at this or every time I feel it, it's just a reminder to me that, wow, it doesn't take much. 30 of these is all it took for Judas to betray the king of all kings. The Lord of all lords, unbelievable. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He also said this in Mark chapter eight. He said, what good is it for a man or a woman or whoever to gain the whole world and yet you forfeit your soul? God had this divine plan, this time schedule, and it was coming together. Well, Jesus goes to bed, and when he wakes up, it's now Thursday, okay? One day until the crucifixion. Tomorrow, Jesus knows he's gonna die on a cross. Now, a lot of things happen on Thursday. Jesus has two of his disciples go and make plans for the Passover meal. Thursday's super clean. We, we know exactly what happened on Thursday, okay? He enjoys, Jesus enjoys a last meal with his guys. He, he washes their feet. And imagine this moment when Jesus has the towel wrapped around his waist and he's going around to all of his guys and he would have came to Judas's feet. <laughs> he knows that Judas is gonna betray him. And you know what's interesting? When he gets to Judas's feet, he doesn't go, hey pal, no way. Not washing your feet, man. You've been mean to me. You're, you're, you're not worth it. He washes his feet. There's an incredible message in there for all of us, just, just to think that one through. He has what we now call a communion on Thursday with them. He takes the bread and says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the, the wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant of my, my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Then sometime after the meal, Jesus informs Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before this night's over. (laughs) And then Jesus makes his way down to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it was while Jesus was praying that the greatest betrayal ever takes place. Judas walks up and gives Jesus a kiss. And at which point Jesus is arrested and taken away to face the the mockery of uh, a trial. This all happens on Thursday. So tomorrow's the, the big day, tomorrow's Friday. The time had come. The time had come. It was a day that looked really bad, but it was actually really, really good Friday. In fact, I, I, I want you to take your Bibles and, and I want you to turn to John chapter 19, okay? John chapter 19. Obviously, a lot of things happen on Friday, but here's the weighty piece of it right here. Look at verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. My time has not yet come. 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 My time's now come. And he orchestrates this thing beautifully so that on Friday, he's actually hanging on a cross and he knew this is it. Sin had so screwed up all of our lives. We were were doomed. We couldn't save ourselves. And because you were made in his image, because he created you when you were inside your mother's womb, he still loved you. So he comes as the second person of the Holy Trinity, and he has a mission. And that mission is to die for us. This is crazy. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Mission was done. Those words right there, is finished, are are really important. If it would have said, he was finished, then we all have trouble. There's no point in being here. No point in singing songs to Jesus. No point in giving to Jesus. No point in being baptized. No point in doing any of this. If it says that he was finished, we got trouble. But the reality is he's not finished. He's still at work. He's at work in my life. He's at work in your life. He's doing something amazing in some of your lives and you walked in there today and you didn't even believe in him. It says it 
is finished. Not him. And the it there was the plan to save us from our sins, was the redemptive plan. It is finished. The redemptive plan is now finished. How a person could have their sins forgiven, done. It's done. Let me remind you of, of something here. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, no one can take my life from me. Nobody. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to also take it up again. Here Jesus goes to a cross for us. He dies a horrible death for us, which is why we call it Good Friday. It looked bad, but it was actually really, really a great moment for all of us. And as I kind of wrap this up, let me give you two thoughts as it relates to Friday. And this coming Friday, you all need to set aside 55 minutes, whether it be noon here or seven o'clock and come down to our, our gathering. It's, it's like no other gathering you're gonna ever go to. There's no pulpit. We just put a cross in here and you can have communion whenever you wanna have it. And all we do is fill this place with scripture from the Old Testament leading up to his very death. It's really, um, it is an unbelievable time of, of meditating on the word of God. And you, you need to be here. Set aside, you know, 55 minutes of your life and just come here. It's, it's a weighty moment. But let me give you two thoughts here real quick. Number one, Friday is all about God's love for you. As I've shared already. You heard a number of the testimonies up there, especially from the children. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He sent his son on a mission. And that mission was completed when he was on the cross. And he gave up his life for you. That anyone who would believe in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter five says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Friday came. Christ died for us. First John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to hang on a cross on a Friday as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. One of the things that Good Friday just screams at us is, this idea that God loves us. When you think about Friday, what happened on Friday, it's all about God's love for us. So the whole thing is all about that. But the second thing about Friday is this, is that the love that God showed on Friday is still available today. The Bible says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus 
will be saved. And it was about 40 years ago or so when for whatever reason, man, God opened my eyes to the truth of who I was. And that was a sinner. And my eyes were opened to the truth of what happened on that cross on a Friday. That God came down here and died for me because he loved me. And there was a moment when I called out to Jesus and said, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I don't want to be the CEO of my life anymore. I want you to be the CEO of my life. I, I need you in my life. Come into my life. And at that moment, Jesus did exactly what I asked him to do. He came into my life. And when Jesus comes into your life, he cleanses you of your sin. He restores the relationship that was lost with God because of our sins. And here's what I'd like to do. I want you just to close your eyes over in the venue in here. Just close your eyes for a moment. And I don't want anybody praying right now. I just want you to be alone, just you and God right now. And the last week of the life of Jesus really is the most amazing week ever, no doubt about it. But it was a week that happened because he cared about you deeply. And most of us in here, most of us in the venue, we, we've given our life over to Christ. We understand what Friday was all about. We, we get it. But maybe you're here and you're going, man, I've never, I, I've never, I just, I've never given my life to Christ. And for the first time, you get it. I remember when that happened to me when I got it. Some of you are getting it right now. The Lord, for whatever reason, is opening your eyes to the truth. Right now, God is drawing some of you to himself. Right now, it's not, it has nothing to do with me. It's all about God. And yet, there is this moment when your free will kicks in right here. And you can either go, I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus or I'm not. I'm gonna give up my life for him. I'm gonna let him become the CEO of my life. And right now, I, I think maybe there's one of you in here who wants to do that. You, you, you wanna give your life to Christ. And I wanna give you a shot right now. Just in the quietness of this moment, right where you're at, just in your heart, in your mind, I just want you to pray this. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you right now. I walked into this place today an unbeliever. But right now, I get it. Thank you, Jesus, for opening my eyes to the truth of how beautiful Friday is. That you died for me. And right now, I surrender my life over to you. I want you to be the CEO of my life right now, Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer, you meant it, here's the deal, just keep your eyes bowed, or heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a second. If you meant that, then something just unbelievable happened in your life and you won't get it for a while. That is Jesus came into your life. He's not done. For some of you, he's gonna do his greatest work right now in, in, in your life. And if you prayed that and you meant it, would, would you just do me a favor so I can rejoice with you and just, just raise your hand and, and so I can see it and say, hey, pastor, I want you to know, man, I prayed. Yeah, I got you, man, cool. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of you right here. Make sure I see it. Just look up here. Anybody in the mezzanine? How about over here? A bunch of you. Up in the balcony up there? I got you, man. Obviously, I can't see in the venue. Here's your look up here real quick. Um, it would just be like really, really crummy. It'd be sinful on my part if I just said, man, thanks for coming. Hip, hip, hooray, bye. You see, one of the reasons why Jesus left this thing called the church was um, this is like a big incubator where, you know, you put a baby in an incubator, you know, kind of a thing, keeps it warm, helps it grow, all that kind of stuff. Well, well, that's what the church is. And one of the reasons why the church is here is to help those of you that raised your hand, and there was a ton of you that raised your hand. Maybe over in the venue too, I don't know. And as a pastor of the Lord's church, one of my responsibilities is to pray for you and hip hip array you and, and help kind of give you some tracks to run on so that you know more about this God you just surrendered your life to. And so this is all I want you to do. You can see last hour, a lot of, a lot of people did it. I just want you to, in the corner of that card that Pastor Bobby had everybody fill out, just put a star up there. This is kind of how I like doing things here. Just say, hey, you put a star up there and what you're saying is, man, I don't know what's going on. I just know God was doing something in my life and, 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 and you, you just put a star up there. And before I leave here, those cards will be given to me and I'll be praying for you. And um, that's the greatest thing I can do is rejoice with you. But then also tomorrow morning, if you got an email address, I'm gonna send you an email. Hey, I'm pumped about your decision. Or if you don't have an email, you just got an address, I'll send you snail mail. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I just wanna hip hip array your, your decision. But I also wanna invite you to something that I do that's kind of fun. I do it only a couple times a year and the next one will be uh, the first week in April. It's called the, the follow class. It's just a chance for me to get to know you. I go over five or six messages. It's about seven weeks long, five, five or six little things that I think are important. And I wanna invite you to it. You don't have to come. But if this decision was genuine, okay, a, you'll put a star up there, and B, you'll do everything you can to be here. We got child care and the whole stuff. I'll send you all the information on it. And so that star is really important to me. Okay, I'm not gonna show up at your door on Monday. Hey, you know, you put a star there, here I am. You know, I'm not gonna do that. But I do wanna send you something because that's what the church is for. One of the reasons why the church is here is to make disciples. 
And uh, so put that up there. Now, some of you might be here. Maybe you gave your life to Christ last week or two weeks ago or a month ago or a year ago, and you've always wanted to come to the discovery uh, or the follow class. All you got to do is put a little square in the corner. And if you do that, I'll invite you. I'll send you information on that follow class, when it is. And I'd love to have you come and be a part of it and learn some of the basics of the faith. It's really, uh, it's, it, it's just a lot of fun for me. To, to do that. And so in just a moment, you'll just, we'll stand up, I'll pray, you'll just leave them on the seats, leave them on the seats over in the, in the venue, and I'll, I'll pick them up. And uh, the team will pick them up, and then I'll, I'll get these, okay? So, so it's super important to me, because it's super important to the Lord that, that, you, that you do that, okay? Everybody stand up, over in the venue, stand up. Let, let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this weekend, and just really grateful for all of the baptisms last night, last hour, this hour, Lord. I'm thankful for the kids that are going out to serve you. I'm just grateful for the music. I'm just grateful that we had a chance to give and hear your word. I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, for the last week of your life. I'm grateful for all of those that made some sort of decision for you today. It's been a great weekend, Lord. And as we leave here, God, May we remember that the story didn't end on Friday, but Sunday's coming, the day you walk out of that tomb. And Lord, we're going to have a great celebration next weekend. I, I, I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing lots of new people in here and watching you work in the lives of all of us, God. And I pray these things in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Go get your kids in a hurry. Go get them.